You are now listening to a brand new episode of the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success. I am your host, Maverick Levy, and as always, I'm here to fill the gap of the shit you did not learn in school, but is essential in life. That's always, that's going to be forever. That's the point of the show. But have you checked out the podcast social media pages at TBOTB Pod? I just got all the merch in. I got some hoodies, some t-shirts, some masks with filters. So I'll probably be doing a giveaway soon. So make sure to check out the Instagram page, the Twitter page, the Facebook page. We're also on LinkedIn if you're on LinkedIn, because this is also a business podcast. But please remember that the discussions on this podcast are for informational purposes only. I cannot predict and do not guarantee that you will attain a particular result from the information provided. You should always seek professional assistance before making decisions in connection with the topics discussed. Now, I've had many entrepreneurs on the show, but none of them, at least to my knowledge, have been involved in the cannabis industry, obviously one that's emerging very fastly. So let's dive right into this one, everyone. On today's show, I have Eric Klar from Klar Family Investments. He is a serial entrepreneur. He likes to be called the hippie capitalist. And he has his hands in many different businesses and we'll touch on pretty much all of them. But I'm going to be mostly asking him questions that pertain to his cannabis venture because I want you all to learn about that as that's definitely an interesting topic and one that you always see in the news and one that's growing very rapidly, like I said before. But his venture is Quality Roots, which is Michigan's premier cannabis company. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Thanks, Maverick. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, how you been in this crazy-ass world we're living in? Keeping the family safe and uh, keeping the businesses open and successful as much as we can. I'm sure it's hard with COVID because of what you do, and we'll get into that. But I don't know if you've listened to the podcast before, but I always start off with some background information about my guests so the listeners can get to know you. Where did you grow up? Yes, I grew up in West Bloomfield, Michigan. I grew up born and raised, and uh, my family had businesses around the area, so kind of grew up in different parts of town because of that as well. Gotcha. Detroit native, Michigan native, Michigander. Never left, never will. So what was the first business that you started? So the first business that I started, you know, besides selling sports cards at the park with my brothers. Which is very big now. Sports cards is blowing back up. What an investment to make. Yeah, Um, I hear people are taking insurance out on their sports cards collections now, which which is wild. But my first real business was actually when I was 12 years old and my dad gave me the opportunity uh, to take four feet in one of his pharmacies and sell whatever I wanted out of it. Hmm. Um, At that time, Beanie Babies was a crazy craze. So I decided for that to be the product that I would fill the four feet with. And then over time, that four feet turned into 3,200 feet in one of his stores, 2,000 feet in another store, and just evolutionized into being a a toy business inside of my parents' business. You know what's so crazy is that I've talked about Beanie Babies on an episode that hasn't been released yet. It's still pending approval. But we talked about how that was an investment back then, right? Absolutely. And it's so crazy you brought that up. And for all the listeners out there, you'll hear that episode soon. But it's so crazy you brought that up because you were making a profit off that. Where Now we actually did a search online in the middle of the show to see what they were even worth today. And it was like obviously little to nothing. Yeah, but yeah. there were some ones that was still going for a lot. I, uh, I knew some some people who actually took bedrooms in their household and dedicated them to nothing but Beanie Babies. 
Wow. Yeah, I would have my my <laughs> older brother. He's thirty. He would love Beanie Babies, or he did. Lo- Maybe he still loves Beanie Babies. I don't know, actually. <laughs> it was but, wild. Yeah, but he would always throw them at me, so I'm traumatized by them. But um, what's your favorite part of being an entrepreneur? Um, my favorite part of being an entrepreneur is constantly evolving and adapting to times. You know, so you know, like I said to you earlier, you know, these past eight months have been you know super interesting. And for me, myself and our team, it's always about you know, recognizing when there's a fearful mentality throughout the world that you have to be very frugal with how you're evolving to make sure that you can develop through that uh, adaptation period. Absolutely. And that change is so important, right? Because I think now, and I think I've touched on it before on this show, but now is the time where I think the true hustler mentality comes out and those who are going to make it, it's set aside from those who are not because you've had so much free time, right? And you have to change and adapt to what you're going to be doing in that free time. In that free time, I've started this podcast, which has grown tremendously. So thank you to all the listeners. But you have to be changing, like you said, and you're a successful entrepreneur, a business owner. So thank you for bringing that up because the change is so important because things change so rapidly in today's world with technology, with COVID, whatever it may be, that even if you're slacking the slightest bit, you're going to be in last place. So thank you for bringing that up. Now, I really want to start from the beginning here because like I've said two or three times now, you have your hands involved in a lot of different pots, right? No pun intended. Yeah. And you have a lot of different business going on. So can you talk a little bit about your businesses you've started in the past and how those started and just give a little background on those? Absolutely. So as I mentioned earlier on the on the show today, I really got started in the toy business because my parents wanted to fuel, you know, some sort of entrepreneurial spirit that they saw for me at a very young age. And, uh, you know, that led into me kind of getting creative, you know, throughout my high school career and, you know, how to make money and how to, you know, look at things differently. But, you know, at the root of it, I really got really interested and really involved in the toy business. You know, I was a young guy who was going to these trade shows at 15, 16, 17, you know, talking like I was a 25, 26 year old professional. And I think people remember that as I turned into this 25 and 26 year old professional. So the first business that I really built was my toy business, and I'm still building it on a daily basis. Um, That business is known uh, around town here as Toyology Toys. Um, Toyology Toys has uh, three retail stores in the Metro Detroit area. And we also own and operate On Trend Goods, which is the sister company, Toyology Toys, which distributes toys and trend-based products to uh, roughly 35 other retailers across the country on an annual basis. So, That's awesome. the, Yeah, so the first business that we really built was this trend-based family atmosphere, you know, product slash experience. Yep. And, um, you know, it's been been awesome to build that and grow that business during a time of of e-commerce you know consistently booming you know while we've been able to tie into that e-commerce boom it's been awesome even through like these past eight months to see how many people are still coming in and engaging not with the store but with our experience mm-hmm. and i think you know that's part of the evolution you know part the toyology experience i'll speak on it yeah. firsthand because we were talking before we started recording and someone that's very close to me, his name is Lance Tobai. I've talked about him before on the show. He lives right near one of your locations. And I always go in there. And before I even pretty much walk in the door, someone's coming up to me saying like, hey, what are you looking for? And they're all so knowledgeable about what each toy is or what each game is. So definitely that experience is unreal. And kudos to you for that. 
Yeah, I'm pushing education and curiosity. And we'll talk about that, I'm sure, a little bit more today because it goes into all the other variables that I'm a part of. Yeah, no. And to give him a little, you know, I'll make his ego a little bit bigger here. If you're from the Metro Detroit area, you know what Toyology is because whether you're getting a toy for a newborn or you want to go get a board game for the whole family, you know that that's the place to go and you don't have to look any further. So what else besides Toyology? Is there any other businesses besides Quality Roots that we'll touch on? Yeah, so, you know, Toyology and Entrain Goods have really been the bulk of the of the business. You know, roughly three years ago now, I invested in a student startup called Scoop Digital, um, which is, you know, owned and operated by Josh Cooper, who is, you know, a young go-getter entrepreneur, somebody who I call a brother um, and somebody who I think has a product that is evolutionary. It is something that a lot of businesses need, a lot of people need. Again, it's been very, what's the right word here? It's been very rewarding to surround myself with a younger community like he's built to understand, you know, more significant signs of social entrepreneurship, understand more signs of tech evaluation, the tech industry, SaaS software, et cetera. So, you know, I'm always learning and it's great to make investments into places and into people who are always pushing that. Absolutely. Learning, evolving and adapting to times. And shout out Josh Cooper because I've known him since I was a little kid and we lived across from each other at college and you're absolutely right. He has a drive, the motivation, which a lot of people lack, especially in our age group, but he's a go-getter and he'll get it done like we talked about. So Scoop is a digital, What? how do you describe it? Yeah, I, I describe it as a, a digital billboard slash digital solution to digital advertising. Got it. You know, uh, there's so many ways to you know reach the end consumer today, and a lot of them take time. Yeah. And uh, Scoop's evolving that to crunch down that time to give the smaller, you know, operators, screen owners, business owners, the opportunity to embed with digital software way more than anybody's ever allowed them to do in the past. Yeah. And can you break down for the listeners uh, the transition of how Scoop has transitioned to the into that platform to show the listeners that something can start off as one thing and make its way into something totally different? I mean, that's what this conversation is about, right? Evolution. Exactly. Um, you know, Scoop started off with Josh Cooper approaching me on a problem that he saw as a young college student, which is he was paying... $15 to get from one part of Michigan State University to the other part, you know, whether it was to see a friend or see a girl, right? Mm-hmm. And he wanted to fix that problem. And his solution to that was buying the old classic pedicab bicycle, fixing screens on the back of that, selling advertisements to local businesses in town, which would essentially be the stops for the pedicabs, yep. and give fellow students free rides to satisfy that problem, right? Back to social entrepreneurship. You know, over time, to turn into people reaching out to Josh, asking him how he did this, how much money he was making, which was three or four times the you know regular average of a regular pedicab operator. Yeah, it slowly turned into scooping the place where people were coming to for information and for us to help them evolve their pedicab business. Um, so as that evolved and that turned into more of a digital play, it was people asking us how they could further embed with our digital, you know, end of our of, yeah of our exactly. Platform. And, you know, long story short, you always have to make a decision in business where you're going to best fit. You know, you can't be naive to thinking that you can exist in every world. So we made the strategic decision to live in the, you know, in the software space and, uh, you know, implement hardware as needed. But Scoop has evolved from being, you know, we'll call a mobility company to being a SaaS software business that is going to sell digital advertisement across the globe very fast. That's awesome. That's tremendous. And you guys have done a great job growing it. Josh Cooper has done a great job putting all his effort and dedication, 
you know, I've seen firsthand him on phone calls. He's waking up early. He's getting into the grind of things, which you have to do. But that's so cool. So you have the toy businesses. You have Scoop, Quality Roots. Is there any anything hidden? Nothing hidden right now. Nothing hidden right now. But I know in the future, probably in, in a year or two, that he'll have something down the road. And maybe we'll have to get him back on the podcast. So let's get into cannabis for now. Cool. How long have you been actually interested in the cannabis industry? Yeah, so everybody who knows me knows that I've been interested in cannabis my entire life in many different ways, okay. the right and the wrong ones, you yeah. know, and I'll be very open with that. But as I developed into being a professional, the business started to evolve as early as 09. You know, one thing that I've always done very well is, uh, you know, protecting finances and, and knowing when, when you're making money and when you're losing money mm-hmm. and, you know, you know, reading things properly. And that was one thing that I was noticing. A lot of my friends who are running caregiver grows weren't doing properly. So my first... I would say entrance into the cannabis space was making sure that my friends who were caregivers were profitable. And you know, I, I had a few of them that I did that with and you know they were very successful. I decided not to get into the space as far as retail or building brands because at the time my my family also owned pharmacies. We had very high-end pharmacies, as I'm sure you know yes, your families are aware of. And you know, we were not looking to risk any business that we were currently operating. Um, in 2014, we exited our pharmacies to Walgreens, which is a uh, you know Knock on wood, a, a great thing for the family. Yeah, and, blessing in disguise. Yeah, and, and a great thing to go through. But, you know, did I get to carry on the family legacy? Not with that business, but in a different way. Exactly. So in 2015, I want to say we really started looking at making other investments in the space. Other words, you know, companies out west just getting into things early. In 2016, I sat in on a, a conversation with a municipality in Michigan that was getting educated um, on marijuana. And it was very interesting to me because the state wasn't really talking about it as fast as the city. And I quickly realized that those were going to be two different territories, the state and the city. Of course. So for the next year, I really just monitored where things were going, went to as many meetings as I could, talked to as many people and connected with as many people as I could across the country who were operational, who were investors, um, who were REIT guys, you know, just you know, private cannabis lenders trying to figure out, you know, the lay of the land and really just understand cannabis through its puberty stage, I guess the best way to put it. Yeah. A lot of money was spent very fast. Of course. And I'm very happy that we didn't spend any of that money. Yeah, and it's probably one of the most complex industries that's out there right now because of what you talked about. And you know, some of our conversation is going to pertain only to Michigan, but it's a pretty generic all over the board where you have uh, a state that's legalized marijuana, whether it's for medicinal use, whether it's for recreational use, and you have the city, you have the state, and then you have the federal government, and all of which are not on the same page the majority of the time. So it gets very complex with all the regulations, the ins and outs, of course, the tax industry, which I talk about all the time on the show. And from a cannabis perspective, that's probably one of the most complex areas. So now let's actually talk about Quality Roots. You know, what is Quality Roots? Is it just a provisioning center? And I'll give everyone the background in Michigan, we don't really say dispensary, we say provisioning center. So what is Quality Roots? Is it just a storefront or do you guys grow your own product and process? So Quality Roots is a bi-vertical cannabis company. What I mean by bi-vertical is we're focused on one and more than anything, the consumer experience built around Quality Roots. You know, Quality Roots is a retailer controlled supply chain mechanism. And I look forward to building the outside of that brand Quality Roots while having the most education to push the brands that are living inside of Quality Roots. What I mean by by vertical is currently we are not cultivating our own products as in flour, um, et cetera. But what we are able to do through our processing center is you know, privately label things, yep. create our own flour type goods, buy bulk distillate, which you know, to all of our listeners here is, you know, 
a form of bulk concentrate to you know put into our own disposable pens, etc. Um, while we can do all of that, tying cannabis into my background is is back to the trend based management side of things. Of course. So right now, Quality Roots is building an operation to be successful through the compression period of this business, which you're seeing every day. You know, the beginning of uh, this pandemic, we were hitting thirty, forty thousand dollar days, and you know now we're to a point where people you know are struggling for cash and are relying on another stimulus, right? So Compression is happening. Vendors have to adjust to that. And how Quality Roots will adjust to that being bi-vertical is we will be influencing a lot of unique trend-based products into the space. I don't want to be the guy who's just coming out with, oh, here's another orange edible that's got 10 milligrams in it. You know, I want to put out a toothpick that you can put in your mouth and conveniently consume. Unique products that haven't been seen yet and are sincerely scalable. Got it. Yeah, no, that makes sense for sure. So when did you first open up the first Quality Roots provisioning center? Yeah. So Quality Roots number one was set to open March 13th, 2020. And as we all know, March 13th was not a day to open up a business. That yeah. was uh, that was a day to sit inside and you know hug your family and kiss your kids. Yeah. So, you know, back to adapting, we decided not to open our business. We you know, worked remote to build a curbside platform, which was not at all, you know, in any one of our, you know, business plans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talk about adapt, adaptation and, you know, evolve, evolvement. You know, that was something that within 21 days, we built a brand new delivery slash curbside program so we could open up our business first week of April. First week of April, we opened up and we were successful off rip because of the systems and procedures and people, right? That, that we had, you put, that you and your team put yeah, in place. And the people that we had there, you know, I can't, like, you know, people, my team is, is our most important product and, you know, for them to be fluid and for them to understand every part of the process helps us all be successful. So we wait a little bit to make that happen. But, you know, since that's happened, we've been sincerely successful in building procedures and processes that will carry out past this location, building a business from a store, not building a store for a business. Got it. No, that makes perfect sense. And thank you for keep that you keep on touching the importance of change and adaptation during these times because you see a lot of businesses now, especially in Michigan, and it's very scary what you see going on, especially inside restaurants, what you see going on inside different retail space because people, whether they're afraid to go outside because of COVID or whether they don't have the money like you talked about, they don't have that cash to spend anymore. So it's very scary and you have to ensure that you're changing with the times to adapt what other the people's both wants and needs are for that. So I don't know if we can touch on it now, but do you have any other locations that you guys plan to open up? Absolutely. So we actually uh, just came first place um, in the Berkeley RFP and application process here in Berkeley, Michigan. It's awesome. Yeah, Congrats. Which is, uh, you know, a home run for us. You know, we're saying we're back in Oakland County just with another variable. You know, people who know our family, we've been here um, for a long time and have gained a lot of people's trust. So we look forward to continuing and building those relationships. Got it. Um, that location will be at 11 Mile in Greenfield. Um, we have our first grassroots opening, which I call an undercover opening, which will be released here in the next six weeks. Okay. So we are going to be popping up a location within 20 miles of where we are right now, um, adult use. And um, it's going to be Quality Roots beginning footprint here in the Tri-County area. That's awesome. That's awesome. As you can hear, he's got his hands full and he's very successful and he's balancing it all. And time and balance is something we'll get into a little later in the episode. So I want to describe, you know, for those who may not know, 
whether they've never been interested in the marijuana or the cannabis space. So there's a difference between a medicinal location and a recreational slash adult use location, right? So you can correct me if I'm wrong, but a recreational means anyone 21 plus with a valid ID can go into an adult use provisioning center and purchase any sort of product without needing a medical marijuana card. But if you're a medicinal provisioning center, you need that medical marijuana card to actually purchase the product. Is that right? Correct. And so which locations of yours are both recreational and medical, or you do have some that are just medicinal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. great question. I want to start off by saying that the way the Michigan program is set up is very different than other states. You know, it's two completely different supply chains. It's two completely different products on, on our shelf. It's not just an, an M and an R for recreational and medical yeah. logo. It's two completely different SKUs. And, you know, I want to make it also very clear that Quality Roots is a recreational retailer. While we understand that, you know, we also sell medical products and the way that we're conducting business is in a very medical professional way, we're about the medical to recreational shift. So in Michigan, we have to have stores that are both medical and recreational unless the city doesn't allow for one of those uses. Yeah. Right. Um, I believe that over the next 12 months, you will see bills at the state level getting conformed to being one market as similar to California. And the compression with that will lead to, which is the only difference in medical and recreational right now, is there's a 10% excise tax mm-hmm. on recreational products that the end user has to pay. Yeah. Right? We'll get into my taxes later, but that the, but that the end user has to pay. Exactly. And what that medical card will do for as long as it's in existence will get rid of that excise tax. Yes. So the patient is being protected in a way. And, you know, at Quality Roots, we're also still about prioritizing the patient. So if I have a waiting room full of 12 people and there's two medical patients in the waiting room and eight recreational, you know, medical are, are our priority. And to the point of how you're treating customers, you're keeping customer data, you got to, you know, I grew up in the pharmacy space. You know, everything is HIPAA. You know, everything is, is safe record. You know, it's ours. We are not sharing any of this information. Purchase history or nothing. We can't. Right. So that patient slash customer protection, doesn't matter what side of the industry you're living on, is, is the most important thing. Got it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And thank you for making your potential or they might be your current clients or customers feel safe and secure knowing that they can go into a quality roots location and that they're going to be treated with kindness, respect, integrity, and their security of their information is also at heart with the business owner. So I want to break down sort of the process because I know you're very into that. Like you said, the customer experience. What does that experience look like when you go into a quality roots? Is it where everything's behind the counter and you can't really go and interact with the things? Or is it more of an open floor plan like an Apple store? Can you break that down yeah, for them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, back to my toy business, you know, you can't sell stuff that people can't touch or can't see, you know? So I take that mentality through everything. And, you know, my grandfather's lines also, you know, when it comes to retail where you have to stack it high in order to let it fly, right? So I'm a big inventory guy, but I'm also a guy who understands how to spread that inventory and get that inventory sold. So the the Quality Roots experience, again, is all about experience and curiosity. So the minute that you walk into a Quality Roots location, you're walking directly into what we call our check-in area. Our check-in area is all open glass, so as people are going through the friendly check-in process, they can remain curious. They can see the entire store without being in the store, right? FaceTiming their friends. Oh my God, what's that from a distance? Let me look at it on the menu. Let Let me hop on. I have stickers that people can just scan and start seeing the menu, seeing deals. So interacting with the interior process before they even get there. Yep. Now, 
it's time for them to enter our interior process. They are greeted by a patient care specialist. That patient care specialist has an iPad. That iPad pulls up that customer slash patient information from previous purchases to products that they like to people that they've worked with and been successful with in the past to where their loyalty points sit. And the reason we have so much information right there is gaining trust from anybody who walks in the door within five seconds is everything. So for me to say, oh, how did you like that, you know, dosi wo last time you came in, did that do it for you? Did that have the right effect on what you were looking for? That customer immediately feels safe and, tr yeah. and trusted. And that's something that we're doing very well. You're building that relationship yeah, with yeah, them yeah, so course. they know that they can be open and say, you know, hey, no, I didn't really like that. Is there another option? Or I absolutely loved it. Transparency from the beginning. Absolutely. Okay? So now they walk into our showroom. Everything is visual. Flour can be pulled off the wall. It can be smelled in times like this. It's tough to do that, but it can be seen. It can be discussed. While I have sativa, hybrid, and indica on my wall, the three main classifications of cannabis, our team is educating on effects. They're educating on terpene profiles. I have customers that walk into our door and they're, what's the highest THC product? That's what I want. Why do you want the highest THC product? Oh, you actually want the highest terpene percentage product. Yeah. And here's why. So I think there's specific things happening in that realm of our business that aren't happening in others. And in an environment like my Battle Creek location where it's sincerely competitive, if you go into our store and feel that and get that sort of correspondence, and then you go to another store and their bud tenders are educating you on, this is sativa, it's going to keep you up, You know, it's good to smoke in the morning. That's a completely different educational yeah. It's not the same experience. It, it, you're not getting what you want, right? We can all read the back of a box and explain it. Mm -hmm. But what we can't all do is be educated properly and be given the tools to give that education to enhance curiosity. Got it. And you brought up the word bud tender, which I just want to break down for those who don't know it. It's basically a bartender, but at a provisioning center, at a dispensary. They're the ones that know the ins and out of the product. They're the ones that can going to help you pick what the best fit is for you. And like you talked about, at Quality Roots, the bud tenders are the experts. They are the best of the best. They actually know what they're talking about rather than uh, a different place that you may go, which is just maybe just trying to sell you. And what makes me even happier, and uh, I guess the word is more grateful to see someone like you actually make it, is the smile on Eric's face while he's talking about all this shows me that he's not just motivated by the money that he's making, right? He's happy about that part, I'm sure. But his main motivation is like seeing these people have this experience at his place. And the smile while he is talking about it is truly amazing to see. It's probably the same smile I have, I hope, while I'm talking about the podcast to someone else. So, you know, you're doing a great job thus far. Everyone knows that Quality Roots is one of the best of the best in Michigan, and you guys are only going to get better. So do you see like growing uh, in the future for Quality Roots? Is that something that you guys are looking into? Again, yeah, so, not sure if you can touch on that. Yeah, but. no, absolutely. So, you know, right now we've been, uh, I think, uh, what's the right word here? Very um, unique in how we've built our cultivation partnerships to date. We've helped our cultivation partners build out new facilities, build out new rooms in which would enhance our supply chain. While Quality Roots is bi-vertical now, going vertical is something that we're going to need to do as as the business evolves and as the industry evolves, right? I'm building a business to, of course, build an amazing Michigan brand, but mm -hmm. evolution, as we've talked about here, yeah. is something that's always on my mind. I'm all about the competitive RFP process. So you talked about applications. You talk about where we're investing. We actually currently just uh, got rewarded third place in Westland 
for a 55,000 square foot vertical facility. Um, that would be, you know, growing, processing, and retail all at one location. That's awesome. And that would essentially also be Quality Roots headquarters. What that footprint allows us to do is to clearly control a little bit more flow and, uh, and our cultivars to our retail doors. But at the same time, it allows Quality Roots to be set up, you know, to grow massively past, you know, what I might be thinking now. And again, setting ourselves up to be positioned for growth, you know, as I am building a team, as I am evolving people's trust, you know, that has to be on my mindset at all times. Absolutely. That's awesome. And congrats again. I feel I'm just keep saying congrats one after another, but I'm a, I like to be, you know, as you know, Maverick, I like to be very, you know, under the radar. I'm not a big talker. I, I like to get things done. Yeah. Um, and I like to do it with my family and people that I've called family. Absolutely. And you know, I don't, I don't see a, a world where I need to go out and I, I joke chase clouts. You know, that's not, yeah. that's not my thing at all. Absolutely no. And it shows. It absolutely shows. But now I want to transition here and go into the business aspect of cannabis, right? So we'll quickly touch on these topics because they can get so complex. Yep. Um, but let's say that a person wants to work in the cannabis industry, not necessarily own their own business, but they want to work maybe as a bud tender at Quality Roots. Who knows? Where would you tell them that you know they should really try to get their foot in the door in the in the industry? Great question. I'm answering two ways and quickly. Um, number one, educate yourself as fast as possible on the industry, the ins and outs of the Michigan industry, the product selection, the brands that exist here. Get familiar so you can you know impress a little bit in those interviews. The other part of it is I don't want anybody to be held back from getting in this industry because they haven't been in it yet. And I want to give one clear example of that. When I first opened my first retail store, I hired two, I want to call cannabis professionals that both ran provisioning centers and ran them pretty well. You know, I'm not going to drop names, but we're talking solid stores, you know, lots of revenue and lots of team. And, you know, as I was building out this first store, I knew I wanted to have that, those sort of people around me. So I brought these people in along with 17 other people that stayed with us through this whole, you know, six-week pandemic, beginning of the pandemic period that I grabbed from finish line, from banking to, uh, you know, one was an o, you know, worked in an OBGYN's office. I mean, all over the board. Yeah. And, you know, for myself as an operator and never really operating a cannabis facility before, I had to be there for the first 60 days, you know, day in, day out. And that was it. I drove back and forth two hours there, two hours back every day. But what I noticed, and this is why I'm touching on this, is the experience didn't matter. Those two individuals lasted four weeks for our business. They didn't understand retail the way that I needed them to. They might have understood compliance. They didn't understand retail. They didn't understand speed and sophistication. They did not, they could not comprehend that the customer always comes first. Long story short, the individual who I have managing this location right now for us in Battle Creek, and to be honest, I see managing a lot more for us in the near future, was the fastest interview of my life. He came into our uh, our blank store as we were having open interviews. He sat down. I said, what do you do? He said, I'm a bank teller. I just looked at him and said, I'm going to call you in a week. And he left. And he probably thought nothing of it. When he came into the store for the first day of work, I said, you're packing flour. You're doing nothing but packing flour. I'm sure he was a little taken back. Yeah. I wanted him to see the steps of going through and seeing every aspect of the business. That's very important. Long story short, that individual has helped co-manage this entire facility. Wow. You know, That's is, awesome. Is, is managing schedules, is managing budgets, is managing payrolls, is managing people. 
he's evolving, you know, over the past eight months, like somebody should evolve in three to four years. That's awesome. Right. So I want, I want to tell that story because I want nobody to be hesitant of this industry. You know, if you're 22 and getting out of college, yeah. if you're in college and you're looking for unique internships, this is an industry right now. If you've been in other sectors that you see comparisons and, and direct, you know, or more direct comparisons, talk about it with people, get into it. The cannabis community is very open when it's not aggressive. Yeah. You know? No, and, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I've seen you at one or two events just, just staying curious. Yeah. And, you know, if you're just a random person there, you can learn a lot. Never judge a book by its cover. Get into it. Get educated and see where you belong. And everything you said is 100% true, but I think one of the most important parts you touched on that can be translated into any business that you're going to start, you're going to own, you're going to operate, is make sure that you go through and understand every single moving part of that business. Don't be one to say, okay, I'm the boss, you know, you're going to do this, you're going to do the, the work that I don't really have to do because I'm the business owner. Because if you're not understanding what actually goes into every procedure to make your business run fluidly and to be successful, then number one, shame on you because you're the business owner or you're the manager and you should understand that, okay, I understand the responsibilities of this person. I understand how to help them grow and how to succeed even more in that position and excel. But on the other hand too, if you don't know, then you can't help them grow, right? That's the opposite of it. So that's something you brought up that can go across any industry. 100%. Now, obviously, I don't want you to give the tricks of your trade, shall I say, to anyone that's wanting to be in the cannabis industry, but you brought up college students. And I want to ask you that if you were talking to a college student that longs to be in the cannabis space as an entrepreneur, they want to own something in the cannabis industry, whether it's a processing, whether it's a grow, whether it's a provisioning center, what advice would you give to them? First, educate yourself on the financial constraints that the state puts on you to be a marijuana business operator. Understand what it takes to actually get a license into your name or your entity name, which a lot of people don't understand. I see a lot of people try to go through the pre-qualification process even for you know, you know what I'm doing. Spend thousands of dollars on attorneys to find out that they don't have the $300,000 liquid to actually get a license. So do a lot of, you know, find a lot of information. Due diligence. Your, yeah, like... Look, it's, you know, the digital world right now, right? Find it all. Talk to people. There's free information. And that's what I touch a lot on the show is due diligence because if you're just jumping right into something, you're probably not jumping right into something that you know how to do or that you know too much about unless you've really educated yourself prior and that opportunity sort of presented it yourself. You're not going to, I tell all my listeners, don't ever be the person that clicks on the first person that comes up on the Google ad for someone you're trying to hire. Look at the reviews, do the research on their company. It's no different than if you're wanting to be in a certain space, make sure you're looking up what goes into that space. What are the ins and outs? And something I just want to touch on is the tax part of that, right? Obviously my family's in the tax business. As you know, I started STEM cannabis tax experts of Michigan, which which has sort of been on the back burner. I'll be completely honest with you. But, you know, there's different reasons for that. But, you know, something I long learned along the way while having a few clients is that it's so complex. And the majority of the people, whether they're caregivers, whether they do have a license, they still don't really know what the hell they're doing because of what's called 280E and the IRC. So, you know, how constraining is the tax, I guess, world as a cannabis entrepreneur business owner? It's constraining when you don't prepare. You know, when you don't understand how to prepare, 
Or no. you don't have the right team in place. Yeah, you know, just understanding compression, understanding the margins that you need to, you know, pay off what it costs to run your business and putting that number into it. You know, I'm a very conservative guy when it comes to numbers, but to that, you know, two ADE equation, I'm, you know, overly, you know, protective mm-hmm. because I want to make sure that our team is saving the right dollars monthly. I want the federal government to have no interference with us continuing our business. Yeah. Right. And I think what you're going to see here is a lot of people and a lot of operators, especially here in the state of Michigan, who haven't taken the time to really understand that. Yeah. You know, so let's think, you know, I'm just a one-store guy. So let's say if I wasn't preparing for something like this, let's, let's give that quick analogy. Okay. In March, that one store will probably owe $650,000, right? Because of that 280E tax. Yeah. Quality Roots has put that money aside monthly to be able to pay that tax. But to somebody who hasn't and has been using their dollars for inventory, payroll, and isn't balanced for that pay period, how is that going to affect their operations? Will they be shut down at all? How fast will the government move on that? They're going to end up owing taxes. There's a lot of things to think about. Um, So while that's a huge constraint on the business, it's one thing that's not going to be a constraint for Quality Roots because of the team that we have and how diligent we look at our numbers and protect those dollars. Of course. But... The one part about the business is also understanding the effect of when 280E is gone. And while I am putting in the time and I'm very committed to the time and running a business for as long as it needs to run with this constraint in place, if you were to take that constraint out and look at the bottom line numbers of a facility, I mean, you're looking at numbers that most industries have never seen. You sometimes can't even comprehend what the numbers are when you take that 280E out of the equation. It's crazy. It, it really is yeah. crazy. And knowing like how you can also be frugal with 280. So for example, you know, Michigan is not the first state to do this. It's not the, you know, we've learned a lot from our, from our peers. You know, I, I talked to a guy in California who is very similar to me and the way that he's doing things. Three-store operator just loves his family cannabis business. You know, the size of his vault is going into cost of goods. He's got a large, large payroll in the back of the house so he can employ more people because that cost of goods number doesn't, you know, go into that 280, you know, number. Yeah. So, you know, he's, He's found all of these unique ways to, I don't want to say like play the game, right? But to understand how to best put your right foot forward. Maximize you know, your benefits it, yeah, is the all best the way to put it. So as we're going to our first you know, payment position here in March, you know, our team, our accounting team, you know, we're set and prepared to yeah, of course. for not even to be a you know a thought. Yeah, it's just another day. And that's important. And for those that don't know what 280E is, I sort of want to give them the background. 280E is basically a code in the internal revenue codes that they have, which says that you can't have any tax deductions for a business on a controlled substance, which is in the federally eyes, I'll call it, is cannabis. So you can't have any tax deductions, no write-offs for your business. So you are paying everything out of pocket, which is why Eric is saying that you need to make sure you have money set aside because the numbers, when you take 280E away, are astronomical in terms of profit and what you could be making. But when you have that 280E in place, the taxes you're going to be paying is not even comparable. I mean, obviously it's comparable, but it really isn't to another business that is doing the exact same numbers and they don't have the 280E restraints if they're a liquor store sort of thing. So if you want to look up more into 280E, I know there's a bunch of videos online when I educated myself that really break it down for you. So to wrap up the cannabis industry questions, because we're coming down to the last few minutes of the interview here, what is your favorite part about being a pioneer, one of the best of the best uh, in the cannabis industry in the state of Michigan? It's a great question. Two things. One, I've been very, very vocal 
in the toy business. You know, I speak at almost every event. I'm the young guy who, you know, I think people have listened to. And I'm excited to build that reputation in this space and be a voice that people can trust. You know, I don't, if it's peers, investors, whomever. But the exciting part of the business for me really comes down to, and I've touched on it a couple times, trend management and curiosity. You know, there's a reason that people succeed selling specific things when people have a store next to them selling that same specific thing. Mm -hmm. It ties into that. So building that internal retail experience is everything. But what I'm most excited for is bringing as many people as I can into this journey and flying it as far as I can. I This is the first time that I've really entered something with like sky is not the limit. You know, in the toy business, there's nobody to eat me up, right? There's no big guy. Toys R Us is gone. I'm not going to be acquired by anybody. You know, this is a place where I can really stretch everything that my parents have taught me, that my brothers teach me on a daily basis, that my team teaches me on a daily basis to take this to a place where, you know, I've never been able to go. And uh, I'm very excited to get there. That's awesome to hear. And you are. You're a true pioneer in the industry. Obviously, a few years back, Michigan sort of reworked their whole system, made it more, I guess, the best way uh, legitimized. Um, there's not as many storefronts. There's not as many clowns in the industry as I like to call them. But transitioning out of cannabis, and thank you for everything that you touched on. And I think we gave a great foundational knowledge for people that want to learn the industry. But I always like to talk about failures uh, on my show with entrepreneurs, with people that are successful, because a lot of times in life, some people fail at a certain thing. And I always tell them that they need to stay resilient. They need to move past that failure. And not only do they need to move past that failure, they need to be able to look back and recognize and say, hey, this is what I learned from that failure. And this is what I'm not going to do again. But now I'm a better person. I'm a stronger person, both physically and mentally. So do you have any stories of failure or a mistake you made that you could share with how you got past it to have a real life example yeah, for the listeners? Yeah, 100%. I mean, you you can't wake up stronger without failing, you know? Um, that's number one. So I've definitely failed a lot. The couple things that jump out to me, you know, and touch the cannabis for a second is I lost a couple of my first applications, you know, very, very, very competitive ones, ones that I spent a lot of my money and partner's money on, and, you know, we lost. And I had a stomach, you know, losing people's money, you know, in my eyes, wasting people's time. But, you know, the retrospect to that is working harder on the next one and making sure that you don't lose. But in regards to just my entrepreneurial career, in 2016, if everybody can recall, the fidget craze started. Yeah, fidget spinners. Fidget spinners, fidget cubes, fidget this, fidget that. The F word, as we call it in the toy industry. It, it, uh, <laughs> you know, If you said that, you were out. Yeah. Um, but what happened was, and you know, this, is, this is a great story, um, what happened was me and my brother Jonathan saw a position to capitalize on this market. And we took one product to one trade show in January of 2016. And we sold $450,000 of it wholesale in three days at a trade show. Oh, my God. With three items that were an inch in size on a round wooden table with one sign. Telling people that this was the item that was going to pay their rent. The company was called It's Fidgety. It started with one skew, and like I said, after we sold all of those items, we knew that we had to capitalize on it further. So we built a campaign around seven fidget items known as It's Fidgety. There was items that we released through just a video, sold 10,000 units, and never sold one again. 
But the failure comes in when me and Jonathan actually went over to Shenzhen, to China, spent some time in the factory, and made some strong investments into more fidget items. As we were making those investments into those new items, we were pre-selling those items. The industry was moving so fast. We were paying people's rent. People were relying on us. Mm-hmm. It was nuts. And the failure comes in when those goods did not get here, and we couldn't fulfill those orders. Wow. So we roughly, you know, fulfilled. I want to say it was two, two point three million dollars worth of goods within sixty days, and then we had, you know, roughly four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars worth of goods not make it here. Did we have insurance on it? Absolutely. Did things work out financially? I guess. Did I break a lot of promises in the way in my in my eyes? Absolutely, big failure. But six months later, me and Jonathan released another brand called Bendy Bricks, which was a Lego adhesive tape, and we continued to pay people rent, pay people, help people pay their rent. Yeah, and uh, we rekindled those relationships. So you know, back to failing. You know, huge financial loss, loss of trust in my eyes, but also a key indicator of how you need to again evolve quickly to regain people's trust and continue business. Yeah, and it seems like, first off, thank you for sharing that story. That's a very deep story. And you've heard the numbers and the dollars he's talking. They're not small by any means. But you also hear in his voice that like he wasn't even mad about the money, right? The money was another part. He was upset about losing people's trust and not being able to fill, fulfill these orders, which in my, I, I know nothing about the story, but it seems like it was sort of out of your control, 100%. What, which I'm guessing it was. And when it's out of your control and you try and explain that, you know, whether we're in the tax industry and uh, the IRS or the state does something that's out of our control and we're trying to explain, they're like, what the hell, what the fuck, how are you letting this happen? And you're trying to kindle that relationship and be like, listen, like, this isn't me, this is them. But, you know, I fully take responsibility for that because X, Y, and Z. So, Thank you for sharing that story. And listen, he got past it. He learned from that mistake. He knows now not probably not to have as much trust in a certain factory if he goes back. And he's grown as a person from that, as a business owner and as an entrepreneur. So thank you for that, Eric. Now, last three questions I have for you are number one, you know, if someone wants to try to apply for a job with any of your companies, how can they do that? Do you have any contact information that you want to give to the listeners? So I work hand in hand uh, with uh, my, my right hand girl, Nicole, on uh, almost everything we're doing right now. And it really depends what business you're, you're looking to interact with. You know, I have a person who's worked with our family forever, uh, Tracy Rowley, who's running our toy business. If you want to, if you're interested in the toy business, which is a great business to be a part of, one that's not going away in times like this, you know, reach out to her at Tracy at Toyology Toys. If you're looking to get involved with cannabis, I suggest you reach out to Nicole Nicole at getqualityroots.com. And again, we're all about letting you, you know, whomever is coming into our, you know, our world, letting you know the exact opportunities that are on the table and the ones that you can, you know, attract yourselves to. Gotcha. And number two, if you could describe yourself in one word, what would that word be? I always like that when it's like, oh, he doesn't one know. Word. Grit. Okay. Yeah. That's Grit. good. That's money. Now, the last question, Eric, which I ask all my guests, doesn't have to pertain to business. Could You can answer it however you want. What do you wish you knew in your early 20s? In my early 20s? Yep. What I wish I knew in my early 20s? How willing people were to help me. You know, I, uh, 
I thought that I was this young kid that was semi trying to know it all, thought I knew it all, thought that I could get all the answers. You know, was very uh, inclusive. Close-minded. I, I don't want to say close-minded, just like inclusive. Like I could only get the information that I had access to. Okay, that you makes know? sense. And I guess to answer that, and I'll give my business partner, Josh Cooper, the credit for this answer is understand the ecosystem that you're a part of, you know? If you're growing up in the same ecosystem, which I did, Farmington Hills, West Bloomfield, Birmingham, Metro Detroit, you know, if you're in this area, understand your ecosystem. Understand the business professionals, medical professionals, any professional that's in our area, they are willing to help anybody get to the next step of life. You just have to talk and ask. Yeah. So you mentioned all these platforms. Talk to everybody on every platform. You never know. Yeah. You just got to live with that mentality. Yeah, and I know Eric from around in our families where we're close. And shout out Drew Warren because he was like, give me a shout out when you interview <laughs> Eric. So shout out <laughs> Drew Warren. But, uh, you know, the how I reached out to Eric was just on Facebook Messenger because I didn't have his number. And I didn't, like, want to step into the boundaries of, like, asking his family. I wanted to go directly to him. And he answered. He was like, yeah, cool. Text me. And that was it. That's how I got him on the show. So you always, the, I tell all my friends, the worst thing that could ever happen when you reach out to someone one of two things, they don't answer or they say no. And okay, boom, you wasted a little bit of time, but whatever, it was worth, because if they said yes, that risk and that reward, like ratio, that's going to be, the reward is way better, obviously. So, you know, thank you for sharing that because it seems to be a lot of what successful people on the show, when they come on, they say like, don't be afraid to ask for help. And that's something that I wish I would knew when I was in my 20s. Well, Eric, it's been a fucking great interview, bro. Appreciate it, you, man. It really is. Lots of real life information that people need to know to help them succeed. So thank you so much for coming on the show. No problem, man. Appreciate you having me and wish everybody the best. Yes, sir. There you have it, everyone. Another fire interview with a serial entrepreneur. As you hear, you see what he's created, right? You hear the drive in his voice. You hear how he leads his companies, how he builds brands, how he does things with integrity, with respect, with honesty, with transparency. And you know, every week I end an episode saying, be a leader, do what you need to do to help yourself while helping others and always lead by example. But that's so true. You know, you hear someone like Eric Clark, which he has his hands again, I'll say it, in so many different things, but he's leading in every single one with the help of others, with the support of others, right? So please acknowledge what leadership actually means in reality, how it functions in the real world. And you're, if you're asking yourself, how can I be a leader? Well, think, are you a follower? Are you doing what everyone else is doing or are you doing you know taking that unwalked path that i always talk about right are you sacrificing not going to that party well in COVID, i don't know if that really relates but you know you see there's definitely still parties going on or are you grinding to make sure that your family is going to be you know set financially and that you're going to be happy mentally just make sure you're doing all of those things and being a leader at the same time. I also wanted to remind everyone, you can check out the website, tbotbpod.com. Uh, Eric listed some emails there that will be listed on the website if you're interested in applying for any of the positions that he may have to you. I want to thank the Dust Brothers for producing this podcast and thank you to Royal House Recording. Those are my guys. They put together the beats that you hear. But everyone, this is the best of the best. Maverick's Guide to Success. And you can listen wherever you listen to podcasts. So if you have a friend that says, hey, I don't have Apple Podcasts, tell them to listen on Spotify. But whenever you tell them to listen to it, make sure you tell them that you always lead by example. <laughs>